Hey everyone, Matt here from the Ben V Podcast, Success Stories Unveiled, and this is kind of an interesting thing because I'm going to interview myself today. I thought that it was not really appropriate to have somebody else to um, ask me questions about my story unless unless I really scripted it in advance, and I thought that I would just kind of go off the cuff and take you through just a journey and, and wind you through growing up as a child, and, and I have interviewed Mitch, and you'll hear that. You may have heard it already, and uh, asked some similar questions. We obviously had a childhood together, and then we were apart for several, several years, and now we're um, together again as business partners, so this is something that I'm going to just relate to kind of health and fitness related things. And then I'm going to have my good friend John Tramble. He's going to interview me for more business related things. So we're going to get things going because it is just me. And I hope you enjoy the journey because I think that there's lots of takeaways from both my business journey and my, my kind of health and fitness journey that can apply. And there's lots of takeaways from coaching people for the last 13 years that um, that I hope you really value. And if you have questions, as always, you can you can reach out to us. You can get on the email list, and I answer all my emails. So no matter if you're a client or not a client, um, please feel free to reach out anytime. This is this is what we love to do. But Mitch and I are from uh, a small town called Hilden, Nova Scotia. If you're from Nova Scotia, you may know where Hilden is. Pre-Trans Canada Highway, you had to go through Hilden to get to Truro if you're coming from Halifax or if you're going on to, you know, Antigonish or Cape Breton. And it's a typical small town. If you know the the song Little Man by Alan Jackson, you know, we're kind of like the Little Man song where we used to have a gas station, it's gone. We used to have a corner store and a pizza place, they're gone. The Tasty Freeze is for sale now. That's a family-owned business, and I'm not sure if they're going to keep it as a Tasty Freeze or not. But when they built the Trans Canada Highway, there wasn't really a whole lot of reason to go through Hilden anymore. But we were a town of 1,500. I'm, I'm not sure what it was and Mitch and I just just had the best childhood we went to Hilden Elementary School and then on to Brookfield Junior High South Colchester Academy and then our separate our separate ways for university but we had a lot of uh, a lot of people our age that liked sports and liked being outside and thankfully we grew up before cell phones and and all of those things so there was really no way for our parents to contact us other than screaming as loud as they could from the front porch but we lived on a giant hill. If you've ever driven through Hilden, there's no stoplights in Hilden. There's a there's a flashing light, and when you come to that flashing light, you can if you're going towards Truro, you can take a right up Truro Road, and that's where where I lived and where the elementary school is, and my parents still live, and my uncle still lives, and my great uncle, uh, and lots of cousins. Uh, and if you were to take that road, it would go all the way to Truro, and then if you were to take a left. That's where the United Church is that we went to until we were about eight eight years old, and, and mom and dad can no longer drag us kicking and screaming there. And then my grandparents lived two doors up from church, and then uh, my dad grew up actually about two two hundred meters away from my mom, and they've been they've been together since they were in their teens. So it's a pretty cool story for for some small town love. And the baseball fields were up there. We had two baseball fields. And there was never a point in, in my childhood where I, I, I don't remember being able to find enough people for a hockey game or a baseball game or a soccer game or whatever we were getting up to. We got up to everything. I mean, we, we had everything in our backyard. We had a large backyard. We had baseball games. We had tennis games. We had badminton games, all that stuff. And uh, Mitch and I, we come from an athletic background, played a lot of sports. Uh, our dad was a hockey and soccer or hockey and, and baseball player. We ended up, our two main sports were basketball and, and soccer, but we grew up in this environment of of being outside and playing and being physically active for multiple hours a day, you know, three, four, five, six hours per day. So we're burning a lot of calories and doing all the athletic things. But I also remember, you know, being a small town, and, and many of you can relate to this, that 
we didn't know what healthy eating meant at all. And nobody was talking about healthy eating back then. I always laugh and say that my mom was revolutionary. She was eating whole wheat bread at the time while the rest of us were eating white bread. And, and it was white bread with cheese whiz was kind of my favorite meal. And every Friday night we had chips and we had our McDonald's nights. Bologna sandwiches were a regular meal. I ate a lot of hot dogs. Uh, I think the, probably the most protein we were getting. My dad was a barbecue, so we'd get... We'd get the pork chops and, and steaks and things like that on the barbecue um, mixed in with other things. But the tuna casserole was probably the, the most protein we were getting. We drank a lot of milk. And I used to laugh. And Mom used to say that, you know, you could only, uh, you could only have a certain amount of milk. And I think it was just because it was expensive that we, that we, couldn't, drink, uh, we couldn't drink all the milk. But milk and just like a loaf of bread. I could eat a loaf of bread a day and, and making different sandwiches and, and, and things like that. So... You know, when I look, you know, and we see it on Instagram now, too, and this is why we shouldn't compare ourselves to other, but I always just felt like everybody was, everybody looked good, and, and I think the body, kind of body image issues started really young because we would we would have shirts and skins in, in under 13 soccer, I still remember, and shirts and skins is the most terrible thing ever for for young kids and, and young males, obviously, Um it just, it, it, if you have low self-confidence about the way you look and you're forced into it, I still remember it is, is I didn't have abs like everybody else. I had that, the lower belly that we all still talk about that's, that's very challenging to get rid of. And whenever I had to be on the skins, skins team, I would, I would hike my, my shorts up past that and tie, tie them really tight so that uh, I probably looked really funny, maybe like Steve Urkel. But um, I was always just never, never wanted to be on the, the skins team. I was always uh, not happy with the, the, the way I looked. And I still remember... You know, going into to grade seven basketball, Mitch and I were both four four foot eleven and ninety nine pounds, but there was no abs going on in those ninety nine pounds. And then we went all the way through to grade twelve, and again we were both very athletic. And and I didn't bring this up with Mitch that I I, I took him down in, in athlete of the year in grade twelve, but five seven one hundred and thirty five pounds. You know, and and what we would kind of refer to now as as skinny fat. And and you know we all have our goals, so the, there's there's various things that we're all kind of self-conscious about, and that's what we were self-conscious about, or I was self-conscious about at the time. And back then, you know, we, we talk about imperfect action, and, and what we tell clients a lot now is the plan doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to get started. And I would say that I was the master of creating the world's greatest workout program. I would be on bodybuilding.com for hours and hours and hours. I would have my scribbler, and I still use, still use scribblers to this day, and I would write out all the exercises I was going to do, and the weights I was going to lift, and then I would do one workout, I'd be really sore, and I wouldn't be able to shoot the basketball or kick the soccer ball, and I'd say, well, this sucks, and I could never stick with it. I had the greatest plan, and, and I couldn't stick with it, and never be consistent enough to see the results, and, and realize that actually you'll probably get better if you get stronger and, and do the workouts over time, but we never, never got that far, and then got to university, Mitch went off to Dalhousie, I went to Santa Fe. So I'll just kind of add in there, and I'll talk about it in my business one, is we would, we would work in the summer times. Ever since we were 12 years old, we'd have a job in the summertime, and then we were lucky enough that we had sports after school every single day, so we didn't work a whole lot during the year, and our parents supported that um, as, as best they could. And I get to Santa Fe, and I think we all experience the same thing, is we get to um, meal hall, and we realize that we can eat unlimited food, and uh, your mom is not going to get angry at you for drinking too much milk or eating too many Fruit Loops or whatever it was. So... Um, the, I'm not sure I gained a, a, t- a ton of weight because I was still quite active. And what happened to me at St. X is that I didn't go to class a lot. And what I replaced with class was um, going to shoot hoops and going to play sports and things like that. So I was always in the gym doing something. And I would go through spurts through my first year for a few years of university. Uh, at this time, it was still the plan to become a phys ed teacher. 
and to coach various sports. That was always the plan for Mitch and I ever since we can remember, just based on our experiences that we had with our coaches and our parents and things like that. So, you know, I was working out a little bit, running every now and then, um, obviously partying every Friday and Saturday, eating hangover McDonald's because there wasn't really a whole lot of bacon and egg places in Annie Ganesh at the time. Not sure if there is now, but those things didn't necessarily lead to, to good long-term habits or things that made an impact on my health and fitness today and where I view as, as more of a complete healthy person um, than back then. But I was starting to develop the habits, learning how to lift weights, learning the movements and things like that. And I still, at the time, I still really wanted to be good at basketball and, and a little bit, I guess, at soccer. But um, So I was training a little bit to, to be better at those things. But still never really felt good about the way I looked when I looked in the mirror and, and could never, and, you know, couldn't figure out why because, you know, I was doing the, the things that, that hold people back now, in my opinion, and I was doing okay during the week and on the weekends it was just a, a crapshoot of, of all of the things. And then in my last year of university, I have very clear memories uh, of this. And one of the things that I think is really important for being successful with our nutrition is meal prep and planning. So we would go to the grocery store and we'd be getting on a health kick and we'd be at the gym all the time. So we'd go buy all of the cheap chicken that we could, that we could get and all of the veggies without any real plan. And what ended up happening, and happening is, and it still happens to many people, is without the plan, we just don't know what to do, and we end up just letting the stuff rot in the fridge, and we throw it in the garbage. So uh, meal prep and planning is a, is a big takeaway. And then, and then towards the end of uh, uh, my career, I'm not going to talk about the business side of things because I'm doing a separate podcast on that. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to be a teacher anymore, and I knew that I was starting to become passionate about fitness because fitness was kind of like coaching. I always wanted to be a coach. It was kind of like being a teacher just in a different way. And my passion kind of shifted towards that. And, and then, you know, when you do have kind of, I would say, you know, when, you, when you're not super self-confident about the way you look and you become a trainer, then you have a little bit of imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome is something that many people suffer from, and we suffer from it in different ways. You know, you could be in your job and you're around all the executives in the job and you could uh, have all of the qualifications in the world to be in the room with them, but you, you have that imposter syndrome like you don't belong. And that's kind of how I felt when I, when I first became a trainer. And I'll just take you yeah, through a little bit of a journey from all of the things that I tried and all the things that I did and where I'm at today. And I would say where I'm at today at almost 36 years old is I feel a lot better than I did when I was in university and when I was even in my first years of becoming a personal trainer, even though I was much younger. And the things that are important to me are a lot different. And just how I view, view overall health and, and being my best self is a lot different. So... I started the gym in, in 2009, and that's a whole story in itself. And my first goal was to get really strong. And I remember I had a, a membership to the YMCA in, in downtown Halifax, and I was going to go there and I was going to re get really strong. So I was at the YMCA quite a bit, and when you want to get really strong and you want to gain weight, you've got to eat a lot of calories. So I was eating a lot of calories, and I would say I got up to uh, um, 179 pounds. That was my max weight that I ever was. And I'm only 5'7", so that was, that was pretty heavy at the time. I was really strong. But at the time, you know, I didn't, I, I liked it when people told me I had you know, big arms or whatever it was, but I wasn't happy uh, with the way I looked there. And I realized that um, in my life, 179 pounds is probably going to be too much. I'm not going to be a professional bodybuilder. That was never part of the plan. So from there, I did a lot of different things. And that was, when I was 179 pounds, 
I still don't think I had ever been on an airplane at this point and had never gone on like a down south vacation, didn't spend a lot of time at the beach. Um, so I wasn't like, you know, summer times or vacations wasn't something that I was constantly thinking about. And then as the business went on, uh, I started to be able to take a vacation every now and then. You know, when you're a one-on-one -on -one personal trainer, when you take a vacation, you, you make zero dollars. So uh, if your business is not set up properly, and I didn't definitely didn't have a solid business back then. But I went from, you know, 179 to say, okay, I got I to gotta cut down here and, and you know, I got to get the abs for this trip to Mexico that I'm going on. And I tried all of the things, you know, all the things that we still see. One, one thing that you probably haven't heard of that I tried was, was a plan called Cheat Your Way Thin. And, and I just don't love the word cheat meal anymore. And it's something that gets thrown around still, got thrown around a lot more back then. And the kind of the premise through that was, you were really good all week, and then you would have your cheat day, and then you would have a day where you really didn't eat a lot after your cheat day, and then you would kind of uh, ease your way into the week low carb uh, throughout the week leading into your, your cheat day. And that was kind of my first experience with restriction, uh, followed by, you know, the binge of the cheat day. And, and that is something that kind of all of the programs that I did usually involve the cheat day. And it usually evolved, it involved getting ready for a trip or getting ready for summer and then getting the abs that I hoped for and then immediately ruining all of that uh, because I only had them for one day. You know, we all think that we need to get in shape. And I still remember asking my professor, I said, okay, I'm going to Cancun. I didn't prepare for this. Uh, I knew months in advance that I was going to Cancun, but I didn't get on the ball. So I said, what can I do in seven days to get results? And it was, he said, okay, you can do this diet but you're going to be really angry all the time, and uh, we can relate to hangry. And I said, no, like, I'm a nice person. Like, I don't get angry for no reason, and I still remember. I think the plan was roughly, it was like a chicken breast with a half a potato or something like that for one meal, an apple, and, and you've all heard this, 13 almonds, and then I think I had a protein shake with, with something else, and that was it. And I remember walking down Spring Garden Road, and somebody in front of me was walking slow, and I was just person under my breath, uh, and I was hangry, and I was angry, and it was not the way I wanted to feel, and I, I leaned out for that trip, and then I went on the trip, and, you know, the first beer that I had made me bloated, and a few days in, I couldn't take off my shirt because I was embarrassed, and that was kind of not, it wasn't a wake-up call because I was still quite young then, and I hadn't learned my lesson, um, and that was from, from Cheat Your Way Thin, and then I did keto because that sounded glorious 10 years ago when my friend said all I could, I could eat just beef and cheese and eggs, and that was, that was the, the key to getting in shape. And I did that, and I did that for, for a, a period of time. And there was cheat, I did keto with cheat days too, so I would go low, low, low carb, like no carbs through the week, and then have that cheat day on the weekend. And, and then, then did the same thing with intermittent fasting. Um, I used intermittent fasting as a tool, and I still restricted through the week because I was still in that, you know, you can't have a cookie on Wednesday because it's going to affect my results. But what do you know, it's Saturday, calories don't count on Saturday, and I would go to Sobeys, and it's embarrassing. If, if, if I were to see a client, I, I would go in the opposite direction if I was there. at the, I was living on Gladstone Street at the time, the North End Sobeys, because I would have cherry cheesecake, I'd have a pack of hot dogs, white bread, cheese Whiz, salt and vinegar chips, and, and you name it, and I would get through as much of it as I could, because I knew that I only had one day. I'm like, what, what kind of way is that to live, that you just jam all this food down because it's the only day that you can do it, and then Sunday I felt like shit, and Monday I felt like shit, and 
It really wasn't a good way. I'm a really big believer in, in having a great Monday to set the tone for the week. But when you're feeling like crap from your Saturday cheat day and your digestion is all messed up, um, then that's no way to live. And, and it just it, it was the same thing over and over. It was restrict, to, again, to, to try and get the abs that I was looking for. Then I would go away or have the event that I wanted to get in shape for. And I would get out of shape a few days in because I was in my best shape possible one day before the trip. Instead of being in my best shape possible all year round uh, for what feels good, and then you don't ruin it when you're on the trip. So, I, you know, I went to Mexico one time, my first ever trip to Cabo San Lucas, which is my favorite place in the entire world. Um, I gained 10 pounds in 10 days, and it was ugly. It was drink beer for breakfast and drink beer all day, and, and go to the buffet. And, and we were staying in a condo at the time, but it was, you know, go out for breakfast, go out for lunch, go out for dinner, and just. Just go nuts, and that's okay if that's what you want to do, but, but my kind of plans have changed over time because it would take forever to get back on the ball. Like You're just so embarrassed and you're so uh, disappointed in yourself because you think that you work so hard for those abs and then you just let it go in that period of a week. But the truth is, is that you didn't really plan for it in the long term. You just did a restrictive program um, that got you short-term results that were really not sustainable over time. And that's, you know, I, I do think that, our entire lives are trial and error, and we have to try things, and then we have to stick to them for a decent amount of time to know if that's what works for us. So I found out over a period of several years that restricting and binging uh, was not uh, what was going to work for me, and I just I, I laugh when I look back, and I'm glad I went through the experiences because everything that we do is, is a lesson learned, but the, the, the not being able to... If somebody asked me to go for a beer on a Wednesday or a Tuesday, I would say no because I didn't think... Uh, that that worked through the week, and if it was the weekend, you know, I would just overdo it and, and never was able to see the results that I really wanted to because of that. And over time, you know, when I travel now, I'm older, and I still like to party, and, and I still like to do all of that, but um, I just kind of have control over things, and and I always exercise. I love to exercise when I'm on vacation. For, to me, there, nothing beats an outdoor workout um, when it's sunny out and when it's nice out, and you can wear shorts and tank top and things like that, and, and I can have just as much fun if I have my first beer at 4 p.m. rather than when I wake up at 8 or 9 in the morning, and I can have more fun actually doing active things than just getting drunk all day and, and doing that thing. And again, there's things to do when you're young, and there's things to learn from, and there's no judgment that I feel towards anybody or myself for those decisions, but I have learned that what works for me is to go away and, and to go to these places and, and take it all in, enjoy the beach with a book and, and relax because um, that's what we want to do is, is relax when we're on vacation and, and take some time away from whatever uh, we're doing and come back rested. And if you come back hungover and bloated and feeling like you just gave up all of your year's worth of results, then that's only going to be a stressful situation. So uh, we don't want to come back from vacation stress. We want to um, come back uh, for vacation ready to go and just ready to continue on with life and have that be a part of our lifestyle that, yeah, we're going to go on vacation, we're going to do our thing, and it's not going to be, uh, again, it's something that's stressful and something that makes us feel awful. So for me, um, what, uh, what really kind of t uh, turned things around was getting certified with Precision Nutrition. And when I got certified with Precision Nutrition, uh, I started learning more about habit building and learning more about portion sizes and then learning more about 
things that aren't exercise and nutrition because at this time I, I do know a little bit about nutrition, you know, and I, I fall victim to the, again, to the restricted binge, but uh, learning about nutrition and, and exercise was, was always something I enjoyed um, exercising and, and going through different phases of different types of workouts, whether it's strength-based workouts or, or getting into running, which I'll talk about a little bit. But when I got certified with Precision Nutrition, I really realized that um, if I just focus on eating more whole foods, eating more lean proteins, fruits, veggies, good starch, starchy carbs, and, and healthy fats, then I don't necessarily need to count calories. And if I'm focused mostly on those things and I had a bad meal or a bad day or a bad two days, if I just get back to those things, then I can live a life where I don't feel stressed about about going on vacation or feel stressed about getting injured and, and not being able to exercise because I know how to manage my nutrition. And there's a lot uh, a lot to that, and this is just my personal story and the things that I've seen with myself and, and clients that I'm going to share. But um, just to go through kind of my, my history of exercise and what I've learned and, and what I've learned with clients that I think is really important to share is, is I always, you know, we did a lot of cardio growing up just because we were on the go and all of that stuff. We had to be in shape for sports. And I didn't really run a lot in university. Uh, we started to run a little bit together as roommates when I first moved to Halifax, but not a lot. We trained for the Blue Nose 10K, and, and I think I ran a 45-something uh, in my first 10K, which is, which is pretty good. And then I started dating a, a, a runner, and she was a runner for St. of X, and uh, I knew that I wanted to get faster than her, and that was, that was my goal. So my friend Lee, he's the... He's the owner of the, the Halifax Road Hammers right now. They weren't in existence at the time, but I said, okay, Lee, I want to run a half marathon. I'm going to do the Ottawa half marathon. My best female friend, Deidre, um, is from Ottawa, and it's a very flat course. So I said, okay, I want to run an hour and, and 29 minutes, and, and I want to break an hour and 30 minutes was my goal. So uh, Lee set me up on a plan, and uh, my girlfriend at the time, she had run an hour and 29 and 59 at the Blue Nose, which is a more challenging course, so... I'll give credit where credit's due on that, but uh, Lee set me up on a plan that was six times a week, and it was a lot of longer runs. I, I worked my way up to a two-hour long run. My medium runs, I think, worked up to 75 minutes, and I just I, I stopped doing my leg workouts because I was tired all the time. My legs were exhausted. I went through the whole, you know, if it's snowing, I got to run. If it's raining, I got to run because I got to run six times a week. So it doesn't run a lot of, give you a lot of leeway when you don't own a treadmill or have a gym membership. And I don't like the treadmill at all. So there was that. And I got really like, again, back to skinny fat. And this was, or 2022, this was 10 years ago. And I just was unhappy with the way I looked. And I went and I ran the Ottawa Half Marathon in, in an hour and, and 29 minutes and 30 seconds. So I did beat her time. So uh, go me, pat on the back. But I I came out of that and I said never again. And this was kind of my first experience with having a coach for anything. And I said, okay, Lee, you're the expert. I don't have time to figure this out, but I am never going to run six times a week ever again. Give me a plan that's going to make me fast and, and, and have that same time three times a week. If I'm feeling good, give me an idea for a fourth run. And if I'm feeling good, I'll do a fourth run. And I'm never going to miss, I'll, I'll miss a run, but I'll never miss a leg workout. And I, I feel a little bit weird because I never really truly got to see how fast I was at the time because I did the program, it was a five-month program, I think I missed seven runs in five months, and I never missed a leg workout. So to put in perspective, when I came off that six times a week program, I could only squat 85 pounds, and 
Now, I mean, I worked up, uh, and again, talking about hiring coaches, I hired a coach for my leg workouts, and I, I have since worked up to squatting 300 pounds, but uh, typical, like, if I'm, I'm feeling good and exercising regularly, I'd be in the 225 to 245 range for a uh, few reps. There's probably some people listening to this that can do a lot more than that, and I think that's great. Um, but it, it helped with the running. It made me feel good, and I, and I had energy, and I felt good about the way I looked, and I didn't feel stressed if it was raining outside, and I said, okay, I'll run tomorrow instead, um, or if it was snowing. And, and, you know, I get really frustrated when I see people outside running in the snow and in the ice, um, and everybody has different goals, and maybe their goals are different, but my goals were to get faster and to do, to do well in races. And if I'm outside dodging puddles and, and, and I'm slipping and falling all the time and I'm going really slow, then to me then I'm not going to get any faster going out there. So it's better off that I do some squats and lunges on that day and wait for it to clear up a little bit and then get, get a run outside that um, will do that. But again, if your goal is to run a marathon, you've got to get outside and get the runs in. So um, I don't want to sound judgy on that because everybody's goals are different. And my goals were to get as fast as possible running three or four times a week. And I felt amazing. I did that program. I went to run the Nashville Rock and Roll Half Marathon um, in April of 2018, and it ended up being 35 degrees Celsius and very muggy that day, and it was up there worst days of my life. I didn't quit. I felt like quitting many times, but too many people knew that I was doing the race, so I didn't quit. I walked every Gatorade station after eight kilometers, and I still ran an hour and 40 minutes, and then that was that was good, but a, my goal was to, you know, be in the 127 range, and that's how I, that's how fast I felt, so, um, but that kind of, like, revolutionized how I felt about combining running and working out. And it kind of revolutionized the why hiring, a, you know, I always knew that hiring a coach was important because of what I did for a living and, and I, the impact of that I knew that I had on others. But it just felt really good to say, Lee, this is my goal. Just make me a plan. And all I had to do was go on the spreadsheet and check off that I did the run. And he set it all up for me. So if you're interested in getting faster and running um, and you have specific goals, I, I recommend the Halifax Road Hammers. They come off... Um, as elite runners, but they have all kinds of runners. Um, I don't go to practices because it just the times don't work for me, and I prefer to run on my own with my country music in my ear. But um, hiring a running coach, or whether it's Road Hammers, there's, there's several other really really cool programs and people to run with in Halifax. But um, tell them your goals and and have them build the workout based on your goals. Because if they're a good coach, they're gonna do it. It's like the to be a good coach, you don't just tell people what to do and expect them to do it. You work with them and give them guidance based on what their goals are. And I think that's a big problem with coaches. They just tell people to do and then they get upset when people do the opposite. Um, but people are going to do what they want to do. If somebody told me today they wanted to do keto, I wouldn't laugh and tell them to do something else. I would say, okay, let's do keto really well for you and give them a chance to try it and make sure that they're supported throughout that. So that's something that, that's really important, whether it's a business coach, a life coach, a fitness coach, a running coach. You're busy, and you, you don't have time to go learn it on yourself. So if you can... Uh, if you have the means necessary, you can definitely go and hire a coach. It's, it's worth the money. It's worth the investment in yourself. And if you don't have the money, we're living in unprecedented times where we have a lot of access to experts. So you can go follow marathon coaches on, on TikTok or Instagram. You can DM. I always say, if you want something answered about nutrition, all you got to do is copy and paste your question to 10 dietitians, and probably three of them are going to answer. And, and you just have so much access to experts and to content and things like like that. And I don't believe on, in being on your phone all the time, but on your phone, you have access to everything. And uh, always ask experts, you know, if you, you, if you have a problem with your tooth, 
you're going to go to the dentist. You know, if you have a problem with your car, you're going to go to the mechanic. So if you have a problem with your fitness, then hire a fitness professional who's been there, done that. Uh, I think we all need to stop listening to our friends and go into Google and, and all of these conflicting advices when we have experts at our disposal, whether it's a paid expert or expert that you're going to get help, help with for free. So that was kind of like my sweet spot of, of my fitness is what makes me feel really good. Like Mitch doesn't run. I absolutely love to run. So um, running three or four times a week um, with a specific plan in mind if I'm, if I'm getting ready for a race. Uh, I love being outside again in the summertime. And then lifting weights three to four times a week as well. Um, and that's, that's kind of my sweet spot. And that's gotten me, you know, I said I was, I was 179 pounds. I, I'm float between 155 and 160 right now, and that's where I feel my best. If I get less than that, I don't feel good. If I get more than that, I don't feel good. But now that I have those precision nutrition principles in place with the portion sizes, focusing on more nutrient-dense foods, and not having that all-or-nothing mindset where I'm just getting ready for this trip, and I'm going to get it in as good a shape possible for the trip, and then I'm going to let it all go, now I just feel good year-round. You know, it's not perfect. I don't feel good all day, every day, but I feel good most of the time, and I never get so far off the wagon that I can't get back on uh, with a good day or two. So that's something that's been really helpful, and it's, it's a shift in mindset, and, and it's a, uh, other things that go on with that that I would say that really have helped is realizing that it's not just nutrition and exercise. Those are things, but other things that have really helped me was, was drinking more water, sleeping more, and sleeping better, Cleaning up my nighttime routine, a lot of people ask me, how do you get up at 4 a.m.? And I say, well, I go to bed at 8 p.m., and that, that's the, the secret to that. But the secret to that is realizing that I don't really need to watch the Blue Jays game every single night, uh, realizing that I can watch one show instead of three shows, um, realizing that I don't need to go to bed with my phone um, and scroll ESPN and CNN. I quit CNN. April will be four years since I've been on CNN because my business coach challenged me um, to not go on CNN. And what I was doing, I was in bed, and it was 45 minutes every single night, looking at a screen, which affects the quality of your sleep, and just not sleeping and robbing myself of, of that energy the next day because just stupid things that weren't, you know, my, when you think about my goals and the things I want to achieve with business and life and health, none of those were getting made better by going on ESPN and CNN every night. So uh, that was something that was really important, cleaning up my, my nighttime routine and stress management, I would say, and being healthy as part of uh, being less stressed, but um, figuring out how to, to stay calm, what to do before bed, like reading a book can, can help you be calm, like reading emails and seeing a, you know, an email from a pissed off customer or something like that or something urgent that you have to do. Uh, that can usually be seen the next day and everything will be fine. So not doing that the night before really helped. So that's kind of like my story. And I just want to kind of finish off with a few things about my experience with clients over the years and, and things that I think hold people back. And I'd say one of the kind of these two things go together. Um, quitting too early because of lack of scale results um, is one of the biggest things that hold people back. And I know that you want results yesterday and you want quick quick wins and things like that. But I have a whole list of 35 non-scale victories that I share with people when I'm doing goal-setting sessions. And a lot of people, they think that they need to, to drop the, the pounds if weight loss is the goal. And they need to drop the pounds quick, and it has to be fast, and nothing else matters. And they could be having all of these, you know, their sleep could be better, their stress could be better, they could have more energy through the day, their pants could be fitting better. But they quit the program because they think it's, and if you could see me right now, it's, it's I'm quoting, um, you know, they haven't had progress on the scale, so the program doesn't work when really the program's working wonders and everybody is just different in how they lose weight. And if you're having non-scale victories, chances are the scale will catch up eventually. 
if you stick with it. So I think one of the biggest problems that people see is they quit way too early. And, and, and you've probably heard the, the, the kind of quote, you can insert different timelines in here, but it's we overestimate what we can achieve in, in let's say, a six-week program or a 21-day fix or all of those things. We think we can achieve the world in these small time frames, and we underestimate what we can do if we just put our head down and tried something for a year. And a year seems like a long time, but it's really a small amount of time when it comes to the, the entire amount of life that we're going to live. So really want to make sure that if we're going to put our mind to something, that we stick with it and we assess things that have nothing to do with the scale because the scale is just a number and that has different things. You know, if you haven't had a poop, if you ate a bunch of salt or you're retaining water because you ate a bunch of carbs on the weekend, there's just so many different things that affect the scale. So you have to be able to identify all the things in your life that are going better because of what you're up to and just stick with it and chances are the scale will catch up. And kind of building on that is program hopping and shiny object syndrome uh, is, is something that, that we fall victim to. We're having success with a, a program, but we deem it too slow because then we get the Facebook ad that promise us, promises us the world and all these unrealistic results that we think are realistic because we're getting Facebook ads to them, right? So, Or your friend did keto and lost seven pounds, which is really just water weight in the first tweet week, so keto must be the best thing ever. So program hopping and shiny object syndrome is, is kind of built on the previous point of quitting too early. You're having success with a program, but you want faster success. So you go to the shiny object syndrome, which probably is an all-or-nothing program that you'll have some quick wins with and then end up worse than you were before. So that's kind of um, another thing. And then comparison syndrome is a big one. We have done, we've been doing this for 13 years. I've been doing this for 13 years. I've done a lot of challenges that have had hundreds of people in them. And... Oh my goodness, it, it is the, and I, and I get it, and I really, really get it, but it's, it's, I laugh at one point, I feel bad, and I feel frustrated all at the same time, because we're always comparing, comparing ourselves to others and their results, when everything about us is different, you know, there's only one you, there's only going to ever be one you, that's a really unique and special thing, so, you know, if you're looking at uh, somebody beside you, your neighbor at work, they have the same job as you, but they don't eat the same food as you. They might not be doing the same workout program as you. They don't have the same amount of stress. One of you might have kids. One of you might not have kids. One of you might sleep seven hours a night. One of you might sleep four hours a night. I mean, literally everything about you is, is so different. So you could eat the exact same food and get completely different results. So you can't expect to do the exact same thing and have the exact same results with everyone. You just have to really get on board with sticking to your own journey and being able to assess yourself and being happy uh, and content with the things that you're doing. And one of the, 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 I just know this because I've done it so many times, is the rate of, of fat loss is just so different. You know, we'll do these six or eight week challenges and some people will, will drop weight fast and then they'll kind of level off. Some people will, will gain a little bit of weight at first, and then they'll have a big drop at like week four or five or six. So that's why it's important to stick with it, um, even if you're gaining a little bit at first, if you think the program is for you. And some people just have a steady loss the entire time. And if you look at it at the end for everybody that sticks with it, if you were to draw a line through the graph, they'd all get to the same destination, but they're just, they're, the way they get there is different. So that's why you have to stick with it and not compare yourself to everyone. And then, you know, we'll have people at the end of the challenge that, didn't lose weight and they're really frustrated and, and this is, is, is one thing that really gets me uh, about social media is we're sharing, generally we're sharing the best parts of what's going on in social media and I had a woman say to me one time, she was so, and I couldn't even reason with her and, and, and I was to the point where I was angry that she wasn't listening to me but I get, again I get it and she was upset but she said everyone in the challenge lost weight but me and because they're all posting their success and they're posting their before and after pictures of the challenge 
And I let her know. I said, okay, there was 149 people in the challenge. Uh, I just counted how many people uh, posted their results. So it was 18 people. So not everyone lost weight and was super successful. It was those 18 people. But because those are the ones that are front of mind, those are the ones that are posting, you have that feeling that everyone is doing amazing except for you. So you have to realize that what you see on social media is the, is the best of, of people's lives for the most part. Um, people are sharing more things that I think getting more vulnerable. And I think that's important, too, that we, get, uh, we do that to get support and to be more relatable. But uh, when you're in these challenges and things like that, you really have to, to do the numbers. Not everybody's going to be perfect and not everybody's going to get superstar results all the time. And your journey is your own. Um, and you just have to make sure that you get kind of the advice and feedback that you need based on your own goals. And I'll say this, I, I can't talk about it at all because I'm not a psychologist, but on this, if you're listening to this, you're on the podcast. And Dr. Dana Lee Bagley did a, an amazing um, podcast. She's a psychologist about healthy habits and, and why it's actually impossible to do all or nothing and, and be successful and your brain actually can't handle it. So I won't do that any ju- justice. Um, but with that, I would say some other things that people struggle with are limiting mindset. And, you know, if you think you'll fail, you will. There's no doubt about that. A, re- a bad environment is another thing. You know, if your friends and the people that you spend the most time with, maybe your family, are, are always negative if they don't exercise, if they don't believe that being healthy is important, uh, if they're complaining about their jobs all the time, uh, and it, it's just a big circle of negativity, chances are you're going to get dragged down to their level, and it's going to be really hard because you're going to be feeling awesome and going to the gym, and then you're going to come home, and they'll be saying, well, why do you even bother doing that? Why, why is it worth it? So um, fixing your environment, I think, is a really, really important thing. And that would be like the naysayers. Um, there's haters, naysayers, and supporters. I have my rant on that. Um, I don't want to get into that, but you got to make sure you, you, you uh, are able to deflect that and to be able to spend more time. That's why it's important to join a gym, to join a challenge, to join an online support group, to tell, to have a bunch of friends that you go to the gym with, because then you're going to be with people that really support you and your goals. Um, I'd say another problem is is people um, not giving not giving themselves enough time. And we're all givers and we're all doers and we're all everybody else's best cheerleader. But if we coached ourselves the way we coach others, then we would have a lot more opportunity for success. And, you know, the poor moms are I kind of bear the brunt of this. And I'm not a mom and, and I won't ever be a mom. I hope to be a, a dad someday. But we see so many moms and, and they're just, they just have so much on the go and, and it's impossible to sleep and it's impossible to give all that they give and then find time for themselves. But if there's a way in there, and, and I don't have the perfect answer for that, but if there's a way to carve out some time uh, for all of your goals, and this is just not just health and fitness, it's all of your um, goals and things that make you happy and things that make you feel good, then you'll be able to give to others better. And, and again, that's a, that's a mom thing, but it's also an everyone thing. And if we can feel really awesome ourselves and we can have more energy during the day, it's just going to make everybody's lives, uh, everybody's lives better. And I'm uh, just kind of finishing with, with your health is your wealth, and it is an investment, uh, and it will pay you back. And again, you can get things for free. You can do YouTube videos. You can get apps for free. You can do all that. I think that's great. I think that finding a coach or, 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 or hiring an expert is the best way to kind of cut down the, the time it takes to be successful because if you have a coach who's been there, done that, either themselves, like you might have a friend who's been there, done that, who can give you amazing advice and lead you on the way, 
Um, but if somebody can guide you and, and take away some of that trial and error, then your speed of success is going to be uh, a, lot, uh, a lot lower. So, you know, if you want to have success really, and this goes, I believe everything kind of ties to, to all of our, our goals, health and fitness and relationships and professional and things like that. But um, the faster you can do it, the better, usually. Again, I don't, and I don't mean that on the faster you can lose weight because we don't want to go and, and all or nothing. But um, the faster you can find the program that works for you and that makes you feel awesome, and chances are you'll find that faster if you get some outside eyes and, and get some coaching and guidance. Um, but it will pay you back if you pay for it, you know, in... in Nova Scotia, I think that, and, and I could be wrong on this, and I'm, somebody's bound to call me out on this, but if, if you go into a nursing home, I think that um, the way it's regulated is they just take 75% of your income, so that it, basically so that anybody can afford to go there. Uh, they take 75% of your income, and that's what you pay them, and they, they leave you with 25%. So uh, the longer you can avoid that and live, hopefully, in your maybe your cheap apartment or your mortgage-free house, the longer that you can be independent and be able to live on your own terms, the more money you're going to have for a trainer or for a nutritionist or for the things that are going to make you feel awesome and healthy. And some of it's genetic. There's some things you can't control, but 70, they say 75% is your lifestyle and 25% is genetic. So um, 75% of that is your choice to, to live a healthy, active lifestyle and your choice to do the other things that, that are involved in your lifestyle and being social and learning new things and, and all of those things are, are really, really important. Our mental health, our physical health, all of that. But um, if you want to be 90 years old and you still want to be enjoying life and, and being independent, then getting on board with the healthy habits and exercise and the things that you can control when it comes to your health is is really important. And I think that's kind of all of my lessons that I have. That went a little longer than I thought it was going to be, but I hope you uh, got a little bit out of that, and I hope you realize that we're all the same. We all have goals, whether, you know, you're, you're, we often look at the fittest person in our life, and you just think it's easy for them, but it's not. It's hard for all of us, and we all have sacrifices that need to be made to make progress, progress to our goals, and we all have our goals and the action plan that we're going to do to get there, and, and I think if we're all just supportive and, and we create an environment of support and, and are there for people because there's going to be ups and downs along the way, if we're just there for each other, then we'll all have an, a better opportunity to be more healthy and to live that uh, lifestyle that we want. So... That's all for the, the Ben V podcast today. I appreciate everyone listening. For me, solo, I don't really have a voice left, but I hope that was good. <laughs>